in a world of hybrid work, the opportunities to really share your wins, your successes, not just here's what I got to do by Wednesday, but how are you highlighting and how are you pulling from your people? We have to be very deliberate about asking for that feedback or giving that feedback. And so how we operate a team meeting on Zoom may be, you know, different than how we do it in a meeting room or when we have half people on the phone and half people, you know, not whatever it may be, whatever platform we're using. And I think in this world of hybrid work, then we have to be really cognizant. If we can't see people or if they're choosing to have that, how are we thinking about them and their potential and their performance? Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Hello and welcome to another live video episode and audio episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your co-host, on the West Coast where, oh my gosh, the summer has begun. I think it's hit about 80 degrees. And I think in Canadian, that's like, I don't know, 26 something. And uh, that's on the <laughs> West Coast. On the East Coast, our incredible co-host, Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis. Ginny, how are you today? I am fabulous. And I'm in sunny Cocoa Beach today. And it is a gorgeous day with a nice breeze, probably like a San Diego day, Mr. Mitch. <laughs> well, great. You know what that is. Us, us in Canada, we love Floridians. No, we don't. Um, but um, we, do, <laughs> we do love Canadians. And can you introduce uh, us to our new favorite Canadian today? I certainly can. Today, we are excited uh, to have Tammy Herman, and she comes to us from Toronto, and she was a senior vice president at the Het Harrison yeah. Global Leadership Development Program, um, and has an undergraduate and graduate degree specializing in business, marketing, and human resources. She's a consultant dedicated to shifting mindsets, and that's what we want to hear about, and advancing skill sets so that people can achieve their aspirations. And her work concentrates on high potential women and minority groups, and we'll dig into some of that. Welcome. Thank you, Mitch and Jenny. I'm, I'm pleased to be here. Congratulations on the success of your show. But as to your weather comments, I have to say, boo! Sorry about that. <laughs> you know, you it's not nice here in Toronto. You're up there, you know, in the world. What is it like in Toronto today? Well, we did have a little boat. I'm looking out the window. We did have a little boat of uh, taste of summer, but now it's back down to really chilly. Again, I can't do the uh, conversion Celsius Fahrenheit, but it's chilly. I've got my puffer coat back out. So, oh, wow. did you? Wow. wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, dig into some of your your great thoughts. So, think about the last two years, and it's been quite an up and down for all of us. During this sort of social experiment, what have you learned? Yeah. So my first thought is is that we're, we're human. People are human. And it, it seems like such a funny thing to say, but I grew up in, you know, the organizational times where I was told by my managers to kind of separate who I was at home and who I was in the office. And I distinctly remember a piece of feedback where a, a former manager told me, you know, about 
a client of hers whose father had passed. And, but when she came into the office as an executive, you know, she was, and, and so I lived with this veneer as I know a, a lot of people did. And, and I think, you know, we've learned that we, we can't separate. And when we do separate, it's exhausting. Uh, it's exhausting. So one, we're certainly human. Um, and so we gain perspective about kind of what life and, and work means to us. Certainly we see that through the numbers with people kind of moving around in, in their career decisions. Um, and I'd say kind of the third thing is we've, we really have the opportunity kind of once in a generation to rethink work. And it's funny because just this morning in my news feed, I saw an article. Um, it, it was uh, the chief human resources officer of Autodesk. So a tech client that I actually, our tech company uh, that I actually know quite well. And they um, are very, you know, one of the few tech companies that are saying, no, we're moving forward with our flex forward uh, policy, you know, where the others are kind of saying, no, you have to come into the office. And the results that they're having are amazing. Um, lower attrition than even before the pandemic. Their increase in hires, um, minority hires, diverse hires is skyrocketing. So they're in a better place than they've ever been, which is kind of cool. So I think that is is a bit of a, a case study for, you know, this, this can work when we rethink. Wonderful. And love the term they're using, flex forward. That's very interesting. So your work revolves around people changing their mindsets, uh, leaders and managers in the workplace. Can you talk about what that means, how they need to change their stories? Um, give a couple of examples. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in the, you know, training, leadership development, executive development industry for 25 years. And what's dawned on me in the last decade or so is that organizations, I mean, it's a billion dollar industry, right? We're putting people through workshops and skills and we tell them, you know, here's a toolkit, do this, do that. And, and sometimes it works, but most of the time it doesn't. And it's because we don't, first start with, okay, what's the story you're telling yourself about this particular skill or topic? And I always start with, like, we get it when we talk about uh, athletes or performers, professional performers of all kinds. They know their head game. The stories that they tell themselves is as equal, if not more important than their physical performance. Like we get, we get, the, oh yeah, of course, an athlete thinks about that or a pop star or whoever. But why not those of us in the offices and cubicles and basement desks? Um, and, and so I'm on this mission to kind of normalize that oftentimes we tell ourselves some pretty crappy stories about things. Uh, and we need to deal with that first because our beliefs shape our mindsets and they shape our behaviors. And we need this cycle to be positive. Excellent. So can you give me an example or our audience an example of how in working with a group or with a, a leader, they changed their story? Yeah. So, um, so let's give, uh, I'll pick an example of a networking workshop, let's say, because I deal with a lot of um, uh, professional services organizations where they need to, you know, expand their, their networks uh, to become successful. And, you know, again, we put them through with the tools, but when you really get into individual conversations or you create a nice vulnerable space for people to be able to share, they start saying things like, well, I don't know what value I have at all 
to my network. I could never go up to them or ask them for a meeting. They're more senior than me. They're more experienced than me. They're more, you know, what, what business do I have asking them for, you know, for some time or, oh, they canceled on me. So that must mean that I'm not a priority or I'm not important. So we make up all these stories and our, our mindsets around, do I have value to add? Um, you know, is a, is a pretty damning mindset. And so first we work through, okay, you know, let's talk about all the ways you are valuable. You do add value and really get them to believe that. Let's talk about your relationship with hierarchy and authority. And why can't you go talk to that senior leader? Because in the workshop opening, they told you that they're ready to have conversations and help people along in their careers. So uh, so that, that's kind of a really tangible example of it's so easy to just go in and say, here's, here's the workshop on networking, you know, go do this. When most people are sitting back going, I could never do that. That doesn't work for me. Totally, totally. And I think if we looked also at the other side, leaders too, are finding they have to change their stories. I have this picture in my mind what a leader needs to be. And it's quite different than what we're finding that people are working from home or across the world are saying they need from you. So changing that story is uh, what we're finding. I know Mitch is also finding. But that leads really well into something else you work on. Um, which is you feel that leaders need to change their conversations, that that really needs to happen. Can you talk about, in fact, you've identified six different ways. Love to hear from the, the major, major points of that. Yeah, so that was a, a beautiful intro, Ginny, when you said that it, it's never been harder for um, leaders to kind of do their jobs because there's the 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 business or the organizational aspects, but then there's all this stuff around um, around us being humans and, and messy humans and, and empathy. And we've been hearing so much about, you know, empathy fatigue or compassion fatigue and all these things, but guess what? That's not going away, right? Us as humans are not going away. I just have no more empathy. <laughs> I have empathy until like five o'clock and then I'm, I'm done. Yeah. That's right. Caps out. And and I get it. It does. It's like, oh my goodness, I just can't talk about, you know, this stuff anymore. But but we know that that's part of the job now, right? Um so yeah, so what I've been I've been talking about are kind of what are the six conversations that people need to have with their leaders and leaders need to ensure they're having with their people. And so some of them we've always been having, but I think the context has changed. So that check-in conversation, how are you? You know, yeah, I'm fine. But, but I think there's a nuance now to that because things happen in our personal lives. We may or may not choose to share that. Leaders may not hear all of that, but there's also all these world and local events that happen that are impacting people. So I remember, uh, you know, a woman that I was coaching when, when things happened in Iran with the woman who was, you know, killed by the morality police, she's, she's an Iranian who has family back there for months she was still traumatized and and she said I don't know my manager stopped asking me and 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 it's still impacting me and I don't know what to do like should I talk to them about it and our whole coaching session was just on that um and so the check-in conversation I think is something that we really have to learn how to do well um and then there's the you know here's what I'm working on the task conversation that's number two um but again I'm always urging people, you have to find out, especially in a world of hybrid work, 
the opportunities to really share your wins, your successes, not just, you know, here's what I got to do by Wednesday, but how are you highlighting and how are you pulling from your people, their wins and successes? So you really know what's going on. So you have to really ask that, right? What are three things that went really well? I mean, Exactly. That's a great way to kind of get to it quickly. Um, And then, of course, there's always been the career conversation. But again, in this world of, you know, talents hard to find, restructuring, all of these things, that's more important than ever. Um, But I think what has changed is kind of the the last three influence, visibility and impact because Mm -hmm. people are are potentially hybrid is getting feedback on how do I influence in this hybrid world? How do I understand what what's important to my stakeholders when I may not be able to see them as often? How do I gain visibility yes. uh, when I can't just pop by and see them in the coffee room perhaps? Um, and how am I having impact? I can't tell you how many people struggle with social anxiety in going back to uh, having conversations in person. Yes, in person. yes. Yeah. yeah, they forgot. On impact, then how do um, how do people now in this in this virtual landscape? How do they figure out whether they're having impact? Not that they knew before, by the way. But how do they figure <laughs> out now uh, in this? Well, they world? may or may not have known before, right? And so my point is, we have to be very deliberate about asking for that feedback or giving that feedback. And so how we operate a team meeting on Zoom may be, you know, different than how we do it in a meeting room or when we have half people on the phone and half people, you know, not uh, or on the Zoom, whatever it may be, whatever platform we're using. So um, I think we constantly have to ask and give feedback around how am I landing? Uh, are my points coming across? Do people feel that they're included in this conversation? Mm-hmm. Uh, all of those things. We, I think we have to be incredibly deliberate about checking in on those things. Hi. We are taking a quick break to remind you to support our podcast by hitting the subscribe button and leaving us a review. Your feedback means a lot to us. And with that, we can put together more engaging and thought-provoking content for leadership and remote work. I think maybe your six conversation points bleed into a side conversation that you and I had had that sometimes the team might be working well out there in the hybrid world and it's the team leader that's screwing things up. Could you say a little more about that? Yeah so what we were talking about is is there's um, you know many ways we have to build our team and we have to be Um, very cohesive and effective within our team unit, but also across the organization because no team works in isolation. And of course, then upward as well, right, to to manage up. And I think so many team leaders default to really paying attention to the cohesiveness of their team, their effectiveness and their um, cohesiveness of the team. And of course, yes, because there's likely a lot of work to do there. But I have seen teams, uh, and this gets to your question of their gelling. I mean, their employee engagement scores might actually be higher than most other teams, but they've become this little solidified unit that is almost an us and them with the rest of the organization. Oh, interesting. Yes. And right now I'm coaching two people 
who have told me that they're caught in the crosshairs of that because even though their team is working well, when they go in and and of course, oftentimes we're on projects where we're reporting to two different, you know, areas or two different leaders. And when those leaders are fighting or when they're not able to, to effectively influence across, they don't know who to listen to. They're getting, you know, bad talk from their bosses, from the others, and they feel like they're caught in the middle of this fight. Uh, and that's not effective. So those leaders need to pay attention to managing across the organization. I like well. that. Yeah. I, I, we have actually not heard enough of that. So that's why I, I wanted you to speak more about it. You also said um, something interesting in some of your work around leaders needing to be aware of their own biases it's, and, and how they define and reward potential flexibility and confidence. Share more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So because a lot of the work I do is in is with kind of women and, and other identified minorities uh, and most... I want to say most fingers crossed organizations today are paying attention to having, you know, diverse, inclusive uh, teams, belongingness, whatnot, is we have to be incredibly um, aware now as leaders and as team leaders about how we're interpreting things like, so I started with flexibility, potential, and and confidence. Uh, So flexibility, (laughs) it's exactly what your podcast talks a lot about this, being able to. But back in the day when it was introduced, flexibility was seen as this panacea for, you know, working families, mostly women, but men as well, uh, to, you know, kind of have it all at work. But it very quickly became seen as an accommodation or interpreted as, like, I've had people tell me, oh, I don't dare take advantage of that policy because then I'm seen as not having drive, as not having initiative. So yeah, the policy's there, but I'm not going to use it because you know, of the downside of it. So we, and and I think in this world of hybrid work, then we have to be um, really cognizant of if we can't see people or if they're choosing to have that, how are we thinking about um, them and their potential and their performance, right? (laughs) If we offer a policy, then we have to, you know, have the trust that people are doing that work. So um, that's something really, I, I know that a lot of, especially women are struggling with. Um, in terms of flexibility. And then potential and confidence is, um, sadly, we still, and we all do this, all of us, uh, we only have to visit the implicit association test online by Harvard to know that we all still, the world over, equate um, kind of leadership with uh, masculine traits. Uh, And if we're being honest, it would be, you know, more white masculine traits. And, and so what happens is when we think about potential, we often equate that with, you know, assertiveness, charisma, ambition, uh, and, and studies have shown, and there's quite a recent one that came out um, out of Yale, uh, that uh, in this particular retail sector, they looked at over 30,000 managers uh, who were promoted or not promoted. And even though women had... Uh, the best, like by far performance, current day performance, they weren't seen as having the potential to go into. And again, you know, study after study shows this. So it's like, how are we thinking about potential and and confidence, right? It's not always the people that are knocking down our doors or our 
our Zoom calendars, whatever, saying, I want this, I want that, that are the best suited for opportunities, yet our biases think that that's the case. Yes, and we fall back on those biases. And I think the hybrid environment, unfortunately, and fortunately, plays to both sides. On the one hand, you're not in front of me as much anymore, so my biases may come up and I play to them now more easily. And the opposite, if I'm truly adopting some of these hybrid characteristics and behaviors that do increase inclusion, I'm now meeting more often one-on-one with some key players, and I'm seeing some opportunities now that I didn't see before because I just wasn't paying attention as much. I'm being much more mindful of reaching out. Uh, the studies over the next five to 10 years will be very interesting. So I do want to sort of conclude with your expertise has been dealing with women and minorities. What kind of challenges, and you spoke about it a little, but why should we spend some special effort to that? And I will now share with you one of my biases that I don't know how Mitch would feel. There's a piece of me that doesn't want to go there. There's a piece of me that feels everyone is in the same boat. We all are going hybrid. We all have to see what the culture is. We need to see what those characteristics are going to be for success and failure. There's still going to be a definition for each in organizations. And why should we look more specifically to, to women and minorities? Now, of course, I know the book answer to that. Could you please speak to it? <laughs> you you were offering Mitch. I don't know, Mitch, did you want to say anything first before? <laughs> no, I was, what I was really intrigued by this conversation, I guess I'm representing the, the males in the room. Yes, you are. <laughs> is, I guess I am. No, I'm, I'm really intrigued on, on now that we are hybrid and or virtual, and we would say, hey, what are the leadership attributes then that make someone successful in this world? Because even if you think about, um, if we think about retail, well, there's a retail store, but there's also people who sell things through now mm-hmm. through um, social media and influence, the influencer market, market, right? So I'm just wondering, because as we cover mostly leadership in your answer, Tammy, is I'm looking for, you know, what are we finding that we should be promoting these types of attributes now? And it just so happens that a lot of, you know, could be minorities and women have some of these attributes, which will either level the field or or make it more even or more uneven. I'm just kind of uh, wondering about that. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. We could talk all day about this. Okay. How do I net out these? So I think there's two things on the table. Um, The first one is, Ginny, is your why, you know, why do we, we still need to kind of pay attention to this? Because the numbers don't. The numbers don't lie. Yeah. So when we look at the latest data uh, that was presented at the World Economic Forum, uh, and I'll say North America, so U.S. and Canada, mm-hmm. we are still among the lowest, not only in representation, but in uh, gender pay gaps. And you would think, oh, my goodness, how can that be? We think of ourselves so progressive. We're not. We're that's like, it. Oh. That's it. We can't. I can't. I guess I don't want to embrace that reality. Yeah. So. Like, I I think like we're number four worst. I mean, it's awful. We're right up there within OECD countries with gender pay gap. Wow. Um, and even for example, you know, 
let's stick with the retail sector since I gave the example, the vast majority who work in the bottom rungs of the retail are women, but the numbers aren't, re- aren't reflected up at the top. So like the numbers just don't lie, right? And so that's why we need to continue. And we're talking about yeah. women, but talk about intersectionality, about, you know, other um, uh, underrepresented groups. It's, yes. it's just worse and worse and worse and worse. So that's why we still need to pay attention. Um, and then, Mitch, in terms of, of your your comments around, you know, yes, I agree. When we look at global 360 studies, um, women tend to fare better on most of the leadership competencies. Things we say are important, like influence and collaboration and teaming and gaining followership and all of those things. And yet it's still not what counts up at the C-suite, mm-hmm. right? It's the strategic skills, it's the P&L, it's the business plan, it's all of that stuff. And I'm so passionate about this. I spend so much time talking to organizations about women have these skills, but we are so in the weeds with the tactical because we are so good and proud at running our to-do lists and our execution and give it to me and I'll get it done at work and at home for the yeah. most part, yeah. uh, that we have those strategic skills, but we're not A, showcasing them and B, being recognized for them. And that's still what gets up to the higher levels. Those are the skill sets. And it's kind of the only ones where women are perceived as lower. Interesting. Oh, so you're saying, you're saying um, that in, so what you're actually saying on a couple of fronts is that mm-hmm. women actually have a lot of the skill sets that are in the leadership skill set tool mm-hmm. kit. They're, they're just not historically and now not being recognized that they actually have those skill sets. They're not demonstrating. They're not highlighting them. Yes. It's almost like, do you see what I just did? Yeah. You're not highlighting this over here and this over here. Yeah. And then how, how can, and, and, and Tammy, you know, what language can they use? What kinds of things that they can use that will not only be noticed, but then accepted. Yes. Right. Without them being called a, you know what? Yes. (laughs) Well, that's just it. And so now we're back to the stories and the mindsets again, right? So in terms of sharing, yeah, actually, let me tell you about this great project. If girls are socialized, um, you know, that's bragging, that's boasting, uh, you know, socialized differently than, than little boys. And, and so this notion of, I actually have to, one, I shouldn't even have to tell people because my work should speak for itself. That's the meritocracy. Um, but two, that if I do, it, it feels gross to me. And yes. Jenny, to your point, but the research is mixed on this, um, that they'll get called uh, so-and-so, you know, if they do talk about kind of their capabilities. The research is mixed. So right. what I say is, if you're damned if you do and damned if you don't, you might as well do the thing that benefits <laughs> you and everyone. I love <laughs> it. All, like, I love it. That's a fabulous place to finish. So how can people get in touch with you? Oh, yes. So TammyHearman.com is my website, uh, as well as LinkedIn and Instagram. And my book is at all major retailers, uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble, you name it. Please give the name of this wonderful book. Yes. So it's called Reframe Your Story, a real talk for women who want to let go, do less and be more together. And yeah, and it highlights a lot of what we've been talking today and, and more. Fabulous. Mitch. 
Great. Well, I want to thank you, Tammy, for coming all the way from Toronto to <laughs> visit us on the coast today as we're, we're just going like, to leave here, go get some drinks and sit on the beach. Um, so I do want to thank you for that. Um, thank you, Jenny, as well. And I want to thank all of our listeners um, who stay tuned every week. Please share this episode if you've loved it, as we have with your friends, family, and colleagues. And we'll see you next time on our next episode of Team Anywhere. Before we sign off for today, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and lead us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your support helps us grow. And by subscribing, you'll be the first to know when our next episode is available.